welcome to the Future Champions webinar with Ian Bateman. He has over 30 years experience with football. He's, uh, his experience includes the Bobby Charlton School of Soccer, the Bolton Wanderers Football Club, and he's now with the FA. Ian, thank you for joining us. No, absolute pleasure. Great way to start me Sunday. So can you tell us a bit about your journey in, in, in football and in coaching? Yeah, no, there's, there's probably three key areas, really. Um, yeah, thanks. I mean, first of all, thanks for having me on today. Um, it's, it's, it's really good to share some of this stuff. Um, yeah, no, the um, started off three, three areas, really. Started off at the Bobby Charlton School um, when I was kind of around 20. Um, had, had sort of 10 or 15 years working there, which was a great experience as, as a young coach to, you know, um, one see um work with loads and loads of young players in england but also work in lots of countries across the world um and then i've i've I spent 50 sort of 10 years at bolton wanderers um in the academy there start working as a part-time coach initially but then um ended up as assistant academy manager um which was you know a really really good time and now now i'm working at the fa and have been there for for another oh crikey 10 or 11 years um generally the, the main you know working mainly in coach development but also working with one or two teams which is uh, which has been really interesting so can you talk to me about today's topic is experiences of player development and, mm. and i guess your first experience would have been with the bobby charlton soccer school for those people who don't know what that is can you explain what the bobby charlton uh, school of uh, or soccer school is yeah, I mean, it was set up by Bobby Charlton probably, um, wow, probably about 35 years ago. It was, after, it was actually after the World Cup in um, 1978 and he'd seen all these, Argentina had done really well and he'd seen all these fantastic players. And at that point, there wasn't, the, you know, in, in England, the, the football was mainly schools football. There was no grassroots football particularly. Um, there certainly wasn't any academies. There wasn't any community programmes. So... Um, Bobby came back and thought, you know, this wasn't right. For, for people that don't know, younger sort of listeners today, Bobby was, um, you know, if you classed him now, he'd be like a Ronaldo. He'd be like uh, Lionel Messi. He'd won the World Cup with England. He'd won the European Cup, um, along with Pelé, Franz Beckenbauer. That you, you know, if you, that those three were like the really, really great players. So Bobby, Bobby set a school um, initially in Manchester, but then it, it spread to go all over the world. Um, which was phenomenal, really, and, and and out of that dropped lots of other things. Um, so as a young coach, that you know, it was one of the main opportunities. I was probably quite fortunate to live in Manchester, where the school was 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 operating. Um, but we we had um, it was interesting. We we got players from all all over the country came. Players, in fact, from all over the world um, came. And and interesting enough, just as I started, David Beckham. Um, so each year we'd we'd have a, a skills competition. Um, which covered different aspects of the game. And, and David won it. I mean, that's him pictured with Bobby. Is a, I think he was about 11 at that point. And his prize was to go across to, to Barcelona um, for a week, where you know, which, which was just a phenomenal uh, experience for him. But he, at that point, he, he, Manchester United, he wasn't really on Man United's radar. Um, so David, you know, that was his... Suddenly then they became aware of him. By the time he was 14, he'd, he'd signed to United. So... I think what the school gave him was some opportunity for him to um, to, to come and, and get noticed. Um, and similar to um, Stephen Ireland, so Stephen Ireland's sort of coming to the end of his career. He's, he was at Stoke, I think, last year, but had some time at Man City. Um, 
the pair, he won the skills competition, interesting enough, when he was about nine or ten. And they were competing against boys that were, were and girls that were far older, up to 16 years old. Um, but what both the interesting thing with both of these characters, and I think it really links into to what we're talking about today, is that they came second in the competition the year before and then went away, practiced, 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 individual practice, um, and then came back the next year and absolutely smashed the field apart. So they, they had to, to do take part in sort of five or six tests under some pressure. Um, they realised they'd come close. They, just being close wasn't good enough. Um, you know, they had to be um, a perfectionist. They had to win the competition. They came back the following year. David got the top score at that time. And then when Stephen came along a few years later, probably, I'd say, probably six or seven years later, then he smashed the score that David had done. And, and they did that as sort of 10 or 11-year-olds, which was just phenomenal. But it, I think it started to tell you about, um, you know, just about some of their psyche and what you need if you're going to be a professional footballer. The detail that you need to work at um, and then kind of being able to deliver go away and practice and then deliver under that real pressure. And, you know, and you, and you think it just, clearly David's been more high profile than, than what Stephen was, but both played in the premiership, both international players. Um, you know, there, there's traits in there that I think would, would be really interesting for players of any ages and, and you know, uh, any standard of, of what you're playing at. It's interesting that you mention that David wasn't identified by Manchester United before going to the school with Bobby Charlton, mm. what do you think it was that changed in his development that allowed people to see what sort of footballer he would become? Well, I think this is this is the point. It's about it's about generating opportunities for yourself. Um, you know, I, the system was very different at that point, but um, you know, certainly by it, it was clear that he was a real standout player at the school. You know, we had thousands of children coming to the school. Um, across different projects that we're running. You know, some years it was maybe four or 5,000 children. So it's a win and everybody took part in the test. Um, but you could see, I think the, the standout thing was one that he returned, you know, having come so close that he returned. But then clearly, you know, there was a talent there that is, is technically himself. And, and the tests were technical tests. Um, didn't really involve, you know, weren't physical tests. The psychological bit, I guess, was around could you compete under pressure in the tournament. But, um, you know, the fact that they did so well, the fact that they were so young and were, were, were like real standout players, you know, the, the stats didn't line. I'm, I'm not really into um, stats back up what, what your eye sees. Um, it's, you know, they shouldn't drive what you're seeing. But, um, but clearly, you, you couldn't argue with the fact that, you know, they, they, they did so well in, 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 a, in, a, in a pressure situation. The final was on, on the pitch at Old Trafford, you know, prior to a game and with the, with the crowd coming in. So, you know, think about that. You've got to, I don't know, some of it was kind of ball control, shooting, passing. But you had to have the detail and you had to be able to do it under pressure. And that's what these, these players could do from a, from a very, very early age. And then you went as a coach to Bolton Wanderers Football Club. Can you talk yeah. about that experience? Yeah, so I mean, we've had an academy programme in this country now for just probably just over 20 years, um, so, which was quite significant. So initially, players would sign schoolboy forms around 14 years old. Um, and then 20 odd years ago, we, there was, the, the system clearly wasn't probably producing as many players as what we would have hoped for. So 
Um, got the opportunity to go and work part-time at, at Bolton, um, which um, at that point, Bolton were, were kind of a team that were top of the championship into the premiership one year. They were yo-yoing in between. Um, so um, it was great to be involved from the project right from the start, although on a part-time basis while I was still working at Bobby Charlton's. Um, gave me a chance to work with a, you know, some elite players, which was, which was terrific. Um, and then, you know, we, we've, we've had some success with, with people coming through. So, um, interestingly enough, through a couple of things, we had, we had some links with Australia, which, which people, I don't know, might be aware of, might not be aware of. We thought quite differently. So, at the time, Sam Allardyce was the manager um, and he had really good links. So, it was, we had really good links with bringing players through. Um, so, I mean, currently there's, there's players here that people might recognize, um, you know, I've been gone 10 years. So it's, it's, there's a group of players that were quite young at the time. Um, so people like Aaron Moy, Aaron, Aaron came over actually when he, when he finished school, um, and, and was with us for a couple of years, didn't really get up to the, to the first team level. It, it happened about the time that we moved on, um, you know, Aaron had um, one being willing to to move from move countries and come and live in a different place. Just showed the uh, you know the, the the strength that he had mentally to to come and move. Can I ask you about Aaron in particular? Because we talked about this early in the week. It wasn't mm-hmm. the case that um, any player from Australia can go over at that age. You have to have, yeah. and he had to have some connection to England or to the UK. Yeah, well, I think it's more European. So I think with Aaron, his his mother was um, from the Netherlands. Um, so that gave us, if if you're an EU country, I guess that's about to change now with us dropping out of the EU. But the um, yeah, so Aaron had a, 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 his mum was from the Netherlands, so that opened the door for us to be able to for him to come as a as a schoolboy basically. And as I think it was the end of him being a schoolboy and then turning into being a scholar. Um, so that was around about sixteen. And with the, with the school, I remember there was a, a period where, because of the school year in Australia, it was slightly different. He, he, he would be in the club and around the club. Some days he was training with the reserves, you know, as, as a sort of 16-year-old just travelling into, into the country. Um, funnily enough, we had Scott Jameson with us at the same time. Um, so Scott's, you know, at Melbourne City at the minute. So he was, um, he'd never, you know, he, he kind of, returned to Australia, but has made a career in Australia as football. So, you know, we, there's, there's players that have come through and, and Chris Basham in the top right-hand corner was a real slow burner. We, um, we had him as a scholar. So as a, you know, a 16 to 18 year old, um, played in the lower leagues, signed for Sheffield United and right at the end of his career, he's ended up playing in the premiership. Um, and, and suiting the thing with Chris is he suits a system that just works for Sheffield United, you know, and they're doing, incredibly well um so we've got these players so even and, and what's interesting is work that we were doing you know with Aaron and with, with all these boys it was probably about 14 15 years ago that we were doing the work and it's really interesting to see where the careers have ended up um you know and as, as international players as Premier League players it, it's it's just incredible but at the time you you, you just don't know what that journey is going to be um, and you're just hoping that the players really grasp those opportunities as, as clearly these fellas have done. But and there were other players as well, wasn't there, um, in, during that yeah, time? Yeah, and I'm conscious, you know, especially some of the younger people on the, on the call won't recognise these guys, but 
the story here is um, so Kevin Nolan was um, released by Liverpool at 14 years old. He was a centre forward. Um, he ended up being the club captain under Sam Allardyce. You know, he's, he's, he's been a manager now at clubs. He's, he's come right through his career. Um, you know, being released at 14, um, but and was too small. And interesting enough, it was like a late birthday in, in, the, um, in the age groups. So there's no surprise that some of and in fact, all these players, so Joey O'Brien was, um, was in the middle. He, he was an Irish player, played for West Ham, people might remember, as did Ricardo Vazte. So um, Joey, again, young birthday, physicality at 16, he was, he was, there was just no meat or muscle on him at all. Um, and he was probably, we'd seen him playing in, and he wasn't the top player in, in the fixture we've seen, but there was something about him that you thought, no, this, we need to take a chance on this guy. And then uh, he started filling out at 17, at 18, he's in the first team. At 19, he's playing in the Europa League. It was, you know, it's, it, things start to happen quickly, but you've just got to give these players time to, to mature. Um, R- Ricardo, you know, Portuguese player, played, played for the Portuguese national side in the end. And, um, Again, couldn't find a team in Portugal. Came on a came on a trial. He just literally appeared, scored three goals in about ten minutes, and you know we signed him there and then. But made an absolute massive impact um, straight away. But these guys had had you know terrific careers. All came through the system, and there's others. We've got Kyle Bartley, who's at West Brom, been at Arsenal at the minute. Um, you know we've got Ashley Fletcher, who's at Middlesbrough, was at West Ham a couple of years ago. We, we, we did have quite a production line of players that's made it into the Premier League, which um, I think a lot was down to having a manager that was really open-minded and, and, and allowed the players to come through and flourish. So being given that opportunity, um, the manager wasn't afraid to put them into the team. And as, you know, being involved as, you know, around the academy, you needed the first team manager to give people chances. And what we found was if they got the chance, uh, we'd prepared them right that, if they were given a chance, they, they really made the most of that opportunity that, that, that came along. So we have our first question that we're going to ask the, uh, the participants. And I'm mindful that some people are having trouble logging on at the moment and they're sending me messages. Uh, they'll keep trying. So, okay. we'll, we'll, um, so the first question that you wanted to ask, the, particularly the, the football, is what position do you feel comfortable to play in? This is around the number of positions as well. Um, you know, it's, it's, Probably not just being um, in one... Well, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see what the guys come up with. The question is actually how, um, how many positions are you comfortable in playing in? That's so correct, we'll, yeah. We'll launch the poll. So, so people are starting to um, answer that poll. Why, what, what's so important about this question, Ian? When we look back, I think, um, I, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, when we, Kevin Nolan came to us as a centre-forward and ended up you know, making a career as a centre-half, um, Joey O'Brien, we watched him as a central midfield player, played most of his career, you know, at fullback or, or, or as a centre-back. Um, Vaste was different. He was an out-and-out striker all, all the way along. Um, you know, you look at Man City at the minute and, you know, Bernardo Silva can play on right wing, left wing. He'll play centre-forward. He'll play centre-midfield. I think there's, I think the fluidity of, of, of football going forward and teams going forward Players need to be able to play in different, you know, in different positions. One to give um, flexibility for um, for the coach, but secondly, you don't know. So when 
you know, Joey O'Brien had played all this time as a central midfield player and his first opportunity came when the, we were short of a fullback. But because he was fast, um, because he could, you know, he, he, he had uh, the way we played, we, want, we wanted fullbacks to get the ball into the box really, really quickly. Joey could do that. So suddenly you've got key traits that he could do. So his first game, um, first time he'd really ever played fullback was, was in the Premier League, which is crazy. But, you know, so, but can we, so the, the learning as, 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 a, as a coach and I think as players is, you know, you need to be prepared for, for every eventuality. So um, you really limit yourself if you've just got one, if you're just comfortable in one position. And then one, you know, it gives you more opportunities perhaps, you know, if to, to, to play in different teams, if you can play different positions. But you never know when your big chance arrives you might actually be required to play in, in somewhere that's, that's a little bit, um, you know, which you don't want it to be unique. You don't want it to be the first time. And I think, I mean, we've had it with um, teams we've had before. We've had probably players that we've, we've anticipated, you know what, we think they're going to be centre-halves or defenders, but they need to sort the feet out. They need to be able to deal with the ball coming from different directions. Um, you know, so playing them as as hold, you know, central midfield players maybe, playing them as um, you know as as fullbacks just to give them different opportunities. I think the French team that won the World Cup. I read something last week that um, their two fullbacks had played most of their football as centre halves, but still had ability to get were really really mobile. So this is the current world champions. We're, we're taking players out of the main position and placing them in a, a secondary position to play in a particular system, um, you know. And and that they they were very much a counter-attacking team in the World Cup. You know, they had real pace and Mbappe and and, and people. So, um, you know, they wanted fullbacks that could defend as a priority. So, you know, some coaches will think differently. So, how can you prepare yourself to be absolutely ready for 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 what the coach might have up his sleeve? I think coaches are getting really clever now and, and thinking in different ways to, to solve some of these solutions. The majority of the people that voted said that they're comfortable in three different positions. Uh, 22% yeah. said two, and then I guess 22% said four, and then 22% roughly said um, four, uh, five or more. But the majority said uh, three positions. Does that sound about right to what yeah. you, you're all seeing at the moment? Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. You know, we look at, um, and I think it's understanding. You know, can you if you if you're a winger, can you play at fullback? If you're um, if you're fullback, can you play at winger? If you if you like playing on the right side, you look at man again. Look at Man City. They play with inverted wingers, so you know, right footer on the left hand side, left foot on the right hand side, and the reason they do that is because they know, you know, they want balls that's going to, you know, in swing from from wide positions. Um, it's probably easier to control, you know, if, if they're under pressure and they've got to receive it on a safe side or away from the defender, they're receiving on the good foot, you know, or the best foot. Um, so it just opens up more opportunities. Now, five years ago, I think people would have really challenged that. Um, or if you, you know, if you're playing for a different team, they might play, you know, Liverpool still try and get players really high up the pitch, but Actually, they they probably want their wide men to do something different. So, you know, you don't know who's you, if. So, being able to play on opposite sides of the pitch, I think, is is really handy. Um, and then being able to play if you're if you're a young um, if you're a young player at Man United and you you're a midfielder and attacker, you will be expected to play 
anywhere in that top six of the players, you know, in, in, the, in the midfield or the attack um, and, you know, get used to, to, to playing in those different areas. I want to take you to your current position, which is yeah. the, uh, um, you, you are part of the FA and you do coach education, but you also work with the England, uh, some of the England teams. Can you talk yeah. about that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, the main role, I, I, I run a, I've got, I'm, I'm part of a team. I'm, I'm in charge of a group of, of fellows that go into the professional academies. So we've got 20 coach educators that, um, that work um, across all of the, the, you know, the academy programs. So the, the boys program in, in the professional game. So, and we try and help the coaches within the clubs get better. Um, so we share some messages from the FA, similar to what we're doing today. Um, and then try and get the coaches better on the grass. So, you know, this is from the pre-academy, coaches working in pre-academy from five or six years old up to, the, you know, people working with the under-23s, whether that's at Accrington Stanley or whether it's at Liverpool. You know, we, we work with all those coaches. So, um, you know, we, we, we write the awards as well. So along the, the, the A licence, the advanced coaches awards and um, down to sort of the level three and level two awards, we have an impact on that um, goalkeeping, futsal, football. That all comes within our in our remit. So, um, yeah, it's it's really exciting to be involved doing that, and that's the day job. And then what I've been doing for the last, um, I've been well for ten years. I was involved with the partially sighted team, and as well, so that was doing futsal and also with the mainstream futsal team as well. So. Um, I mean, I think there's stories from, from all the, the, the squads. So the, the partially sighted team, they went from being, well, when we started, we, we, were, we couldn't get out the group stages in competitions. Um, the last two World Cups, um, they've got to the final. So, you know, the second, these guys are second in the world. Um, I mean, and their story is they have, they have sighted keepers, fully sighted keepers. So Dylan on the number one there. He's probably the third best keeper in England at the minute uh, as, and would play with a senior team. Uh, but the, so they're, they're fully sighted. But the rest of the guys, they've, they've all got a story to tell. Um, you know, one guy had his eye shot out. Um, you know, so you can, you can read into that what might have happened as a, as, a, as a teenager. Some of these guys started with perfect sight, but then through the, the teenage years, young adult years, they, they lost, they start to lose the sight. Some people were born, you know, with, with problems that they couldn't see out of one eye. So um, really interesting group. A lot of the group have been together now for six or seven years. They range in ages. The youngest guy was um, is 16 up to the oldest who's just retired was, was just in his early 40s. But we'll talk about Steve later. But I think what the interesting thing for me is these guys have, have it tough. Things are tough on a daily basis. So the football becomes a welcome relief. Um, you know, so when they come together as England players are on camp um, or, you know, if they're on camp or if they're in tournament, then they come, they're England players. So they, they have a massive support staff around and the guys in grey are support staff. And in there you've got um, psychologists, you've got physios, you've got a, a, a full-time doctor, um, you know, you've got a goalkeeper coach, you've got two outfield coaches. Um, you know, they get the full support of as any FA team would, you know, England team would have. Um, and they're a really tight group. And the, why that's important, I think that, you know, understand sometimes about being with your mates and, and, and the strength, if you can get, a lot of these players have had the, um, have been together for six or seven years. They've all 
you know, had the um, most have had the the debuts. I've been fortunate enough to give them the debuts. So I think that increases the bond between the coach and the player. Um, but when it gets tough, and it, there's every, and I know we've got to two World Cup finals, but at each point in each tournament, there's been a time where you've really had to roll your sleeves up and dig in together. And, um, and that's what this, this group have. They're, they're a real tight unit. Um, and I think they're tight because when they come together, they've got these shared experiences on a daily basis. And then, but when they come together as a team, it makes them really, really tight. Um, you know, and, I, and I think you see that in other teams. And, and maybe not so much now, you know, when, when you've got groups of people that come from the same area, that go to the same school, um, have been through the same sort of experiences that can really bond to bond people together, and and it becomes it be, it can become unbreakable if if you've got it that tight, and um, and it, it can really help, especially when the time gets tough, which always does. You know, in, in any season, there's going to be ups and downs, and that's when you need to stick together, um, and that's what these lads do. It's never it's never a straightforward run. It's like a roller coaster. There's good bits, there's bad bits. And you've um, and they, they they do stick together really really well. The other team that you work with is the yeah. um, the futsal team, the English futsal team. Now I was lucky enough to go and watch them play in December in St George's Park, and they are certainly a cut above uh, the other teams in, in in the UK at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, I think in the UK definitely we're we're, we're a stretch ahead of Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Um, I think that the challenge has been for us is, is um, uh, I mean, we're ranked around 50 in the world. We got up to about in the 40s, high 40s, not so long ago. And then we've dropped a bit. Um, but again, you know, th- this group has got aspirations to be, you know, a top, top 20 in this world. If we can get to that point, that's probably, it's quite ambitious, but potentially is achievable. Um, I think the thing with these guys is they, they have to, we've got some lads that, will go abroad and play as professional futsal players. Um, but even the guys that are, are part, well, play part-time in England, but then play for the national side, um, they are part-time athletes, but they have to act so professionally. So they have to get the food right. They have to train right by themselves. They have to get the club training right. They have to be thinking about the right things all the time. So when we do perform against, you know, a, a top 15 side, so, you know, last year we played against Poland, we played against Croatia, we played against France, who all sort of, sort of top in Europe, they would be certainly top 10 sides and would all qualify for the Euros. We've, we've managed to push those teams really, really close. Um, so these fellas um, thrive on the competition um, and realise that actually by one way of getting better is playing against the best teams that we can go and find um, to really test themselves and and. And, and as coaches, we find out what works, who rises to that challenge. Um, but the players don't fear this at all. They want the challenge. They want the battle. They want, you know, they want to be playing Croatia. I was a guy that was playing for Inter Movie Star, who's like one of the best players in, you know, in the Spanish league. So they want to go toe to toe with these sorts of fellas just to see um, how far they can push themselves and, and improve as best they can. Um, so, you know, we have to support them through that. If the challenge is going to be really, really high, then as coaches, we've got to really help them as best we can, make sure that they're ready, um, ready for, for battle when we go into that But if and support them when it, it might not go right. So against France, we play a double header. First game, we lose 1-0, you know, and got really, really close. Against Poland, we, we're leading games. But in the second game when we played them, we, 
we've had a bit of a struggle and that might be down to fitness. It might just be down to the, you know, picking yourself up for the second game. It's really tough, you know, or maybe we surprise one or two people. I don't know, but there's a lot of controllables that we, that the players can control in their day-to-day lives. Um, and it is hard for them, you know, they've got full-time jobs, um, you know, just, and then they've got to train on an evening. So just to get your, your, your hydration and your food right is a real challenge. And I think, you know, it's, we used to have that same, the schoolboy players that came in, you know, finishing school, getting some food in before your trains, when you're going to eat after training is absolutely critical. So you're ready for the next session. Then you can give your next session, you know, the, the, the best that you can be. But and that continuous recovery, um, load up again, um, and then, and then re, you know, going to your next training session, going to your next game, you've got to have a real professional attitude around it to, to make it work. And one of those people that has that professional attitude that you've identified is Steve Daly. Yeah, so Steve, people won't know Steve. He's, um, he's one of the partially sighted guys. He's actually the most caps English player at, at, in any sort of format. Um, and he's, he's just retired. But I mean, the thing about him is, um, absolute leader. So go back to the Kevin Nolan thing, real leader of, of, of people. And what do I mean by that? Um, you know, sees the positive in things, um, is willing to have an opinion on the pitch, demonstrates, you know, I've, I've never seen him get sent off. He's really, well, he did two handballs, which was really, really unfortunate at that time. But, you know, that was part of the, the, the site issue. Um, but I think the big thing with him, the big, big moments in games when you've needed a goal or, or you've needed to see a game out, he's the man that you turn to. You know, he's the man that's pulled something out the bag. And, and these top players can do that, you know, whether it's a cup final, whatever it is, they generally have that ability to pull something special. Um, the other thing that really intrigued me was, is like he's, he's saying in, in his, last, um, his last 30 caps, he's probably learned more about the game. Um, you know, as than, than when he did early in his career. He's, and I think that's something about us as a futsal nation, which is another story. But, you know, we're still in our infancy. Um, but he's, he's learnt more about the game. And, but he's, he's still learning. You know, he's at right at the end of his career. And even in the last tournament, in the last game, he's saying, I'm in situations here that, that are slightly different than what I've faced before. Um, and, and, and that's what happens. We never, we never know everything about the whole game. It's always evolving. And Steve's evolved with it as, as things have moved on. But, you know, what an attitude. Even, even in his late in his 30s, he's still the fittest guy in the, in the room. He's winning the yo-yo test, um, which tells me that away from the, the pitch, away from competition, he is, um, you know, he's absolutely doing the right things. He's, he would train with sighted players, so it put him on the, the edge all the time. He was always striving to be the best. He was striving for that gold medal. We didn't manage to get him the gold medal, which is a shame, but that's, you know, I think it has settled uh, for two, two world silvers, definitely. Yep. So then the next question that you wanted to ask is, how many games do you play each season? So we'll, we'll ask that poll question. We're discussing this quite a bit, and it's really interesting. I think back to, um, you know, when I was, yes, there's some big numbers there. Let's it'd be really, I don't want to really give the game away here, but or the, I don't think there is a right answer and a wrong answer. I know, you know, as a young boy, I was playing nearly every day. I think my games programme was maybe around about five games a week, whether that was for school, um, for my grassroots team, for my county team, or, you know, or for a club. So, 
Um, yeah, you know, or, or even when I'm saying that, a, a game might be sort of an in-house game at school. So there, there was probably five match day opportunities and a, a week. Um, now that I've, this is going back some time, you know, it's forty years. The, the, lots of there was some there was some problems with that. Um, and then when the when the academy program came in, it shifted totally. That the 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 shift in games went a lot lower. Um, is the, is the scores coming back in, Stuart? Or- so the majority of people, about forty percent, are playing. 40, uh, 30 games and about 30%, yeah. 70% are playing between 30 and 40 games, which is indicative of an Australian season. It's normally 21 games for a season and maybe they play another nine games for school. So they're probably yeah. looking at about um, 30 to 40 games. And I guess that was the trend, say, 10 years mm. ago or five years ago, but the trend is now changing, isn't it? Yeah. No, I mean, something we're pushing with the academies and we've, we've driven through really we've managed to, to get this going quite well, actually, is um, the, the, the academy programme, in some instances, when we looked at it, some teams were only playing like 20 games a year. And then when you looked at the game minutes that actual players were getting, the, the, the game minutes were shared. Um, game minutes were shared, which was, um, was, was a problem. Um, and, you know, so, so players were, in effect, playing about 10 games a season when you, you looked at everything that they were doing, which clearly wasn't enough. So, you know, we've, um, we've started to push now. So we're, we're pushing different formats of games. Um, when we're looking at, um, we're chatting with the Spanish Federation last week, their minimum really is, is around 55 games a year um, across different formats. Um, and it, as a younger player, as a 10 or 11-year-old, lots of friendly games, fewer really competitive games. But then it starts to flip. By the time they're 16, the games are becoming really competitive with fewer friendly games or friendly development games, I'd say. So it becomes more about winning later on than what it does when you're younger. Um, and and it, it's, it's like on a sliding scale. The, um, and not all games have to be uh, in the same 11-a-side format, do they? No, I mean, this is something we've picked up from the Brazilians and the Portuguese and the Spanish. Brazil, they have a twin track programme where, you know, players up to 14 are playing one futsal game a week one football game a week, and then the training sort of two futsal sessions, two football sessions. So, you know, they're, they're having six hits a week, but the, um, you know, they're playing different formats. So we're really trying to push that. Um, futsal's heavy on the agenda, um, you know, and, and recognising what you get from those different formats. I think the important thing is to put the jersey on and go toe-to-toe with somebody else. And, and we're trying to push that through grassroots now, where rather than training on a Wednesday night, you know, you'll go and have a, a, an additional game against the local team and you just play and, and the coaches can recognise what they're going to get from these games. So suddenly your, your games programme, is the numbers of games is rocketing up. Um, the Spanish as well, and we're not trying to be Spain or Brazil, we're trying, to look, we're trying to take the best of what they offer. So, and I think it's when you look back at, um, you know, what players, players enjoy those game experiences. So that's one thing. Um, so as coaches, I think we need to understand that. Um, I think as learning opportunities, the research we're doing is the players find those as the best learning opportunities. You know, go back to the England national futsal team, the players go, no, when we play against really tough teams, we learn lots about ourselves and about each other. Um, and this is critical for us to, to, to develop and to move forward. So, um, you know, we've looked at Valencia. Valencia have over 100 and I think there were about up to 120 opportunities 
for players to put on the strip and go toe to toe with another team in a year on across different formats, which is just just phenomenal. But when again, and, and the other thing they had interestingly enough was their practices always had goals and finishing in them, which is the hard, really hard stuff to practice the hard stuff all the time, you know, rather than where you're underloaded high up the pitch. And and that's what games gives us. And, you know, it, some of those get, I think how they pick the games. So um, some of those games could be games and Liverpool do this really well in their programme. Some of the games they know they're going to win quite comfortably. Some of the name games they know they're going to lose or it's going to be really, really tough. Some they know are going to be 50-50 games. So you've got to work as a coach, what you're going to get from it. You know, if you're a striker that wants to get loads, if, if it's the game you're going to win loads of, you know you're going to get loads of shots, which becomes a bit of a finishing practice. The game, and you know, so that could be against, um, you know, a grassroots team. If you're an academy, you could go play, go and play a team a year above that's physically much stronger for you. Now, how are you going to cope with that? Is it going to individually, how will that affect the players? How do they, how can they compete? But really thinking it through, and the players understand it, and not sometimes you might tell the players it's going to be t- really, really tough. Quite often, I think they know, you know, whether it's going to be easy or tough. Um, sometimes you might share as a coach what you're going to go after, you know. But I think it's just being in these different circumstances. Um, interesting enough, Man United take their under 16s away to Germany every Christmas to play in, it in an indoor tournament, which is fast and furious. It's live on television. Um, they have around three or four thousand people in in the in the arena. It's indoors. It's not futsal. It's played off boards. It's with a with, with a normal football. But they know that it really sharpens the players up for the rest of the season. Um, you know that time of year where there's probably a little bit of a lull. It's indoors, so they know it's going to get played. Um, and I think this is this is the critical bit. You know, we players need exposure, and and they love playing. You know, I think if we all think back to the best. The, what are our memories as footballers? You don't remember too many training sessions, but you do remember games, uh, and you really remember, you know, the moments within those games. You wanted to talk about Max Kilman as well. I don't know if people are aware of Max. Um, he was on the bench yesterday against. Um, they were playing Arsenal. Was it Arsenal? Yeah, they played Arsenal yesterday. He was on the bench. Um, Max is um, is really interesting case. So, and I think you know. So Max plays for Wolves at the moment. Um, he's, he's on the bench most weeks. He's, he's had three or four appearances. He played against Liverpool at Anfield around Christmas time. Played against United in the um, in the Coca in the um, Caribou Cup, in the League Cup. Um, so he's, he's he's in the first team squad. And Wolves do have quite a small squad. Max's background was um, he was at Fulham as a as a schoolboy. Um, best player when he was under eleven, under twelve. And then didn't grow. Under 14, they released him because he couldn't get around the pitch. It was to physicality, really. Too small, couldn't run. Um, when you chat, we've got some webinars on the FA Learning website and we've, we interviewed Max a couple of weeks ago. And he was, he was saying about that he couldn't get around the pitch. Um, but again, when he couldn't get around, he had to sort his feet out. Anyway, he couldn't get a club up to, up to being 16. At 16, he ended up at Maidenhead, which... Uh, um, part-time team playing the, in the conference, which is the level below the football league. Um, so kind of a you know the, the fifth division, if you like, in England. So Max was by that point it was a, he'd started to grow a little bit. So as a 16-year-old, he was he was kind of in a in a conference club, which is quite rough and tumble, really aggressive. Um, 
it was it was a defender by trade or it was a, as it played either fullback or centre half. At the same time, he um, his dad was is, is in fact Russian and under Russia they play a lot of futsal. He got him into a futsal team in London. Um, so he played. He kind of had his own twin trap program of playing futsal on a Sunday, playing for Maidenhead on a Saturday, training in the week, and then we picked him up through the England futsal program. He's had 25 England futsal caps, um, you know, so he's played in European qualifiers, World Cup qualifiers. Um, and then at 21, um, Wolves come along. They've seen him playing for England, were quite curious about him, about what he was doing and took a chance of him on the, on the end of deadline day. And he's, he's been there for a couple of years and he's just signed another contract for another couple of years. So, Again, he's our very own twin tracker, and we've got one or two others um, that are bubbling away that have played in the 19s futsal program. That one one guy's now at Sheffield United. We've had one player lad playing in the Welsh under under 21s team that's been through another program in in, in in Wales. So this this is starting to happen. But you know, Max now is six foot five. He's left footed centre half, and although people probably won't have heard of him, he's he's probably. English left-footed centre-halves that have got a real ability to play with the ball. So the way England are trying to play at the moment and playing out from the back, you know, if he does get a run of games, he's someone that we could see, you know, really, he could still yet make it into the England football team as well as playing for the England futsal team. Um, but it just sort of, you know, we had quite some time in Max when he, in, when he was doing it, playing his England games. He was, when we look at the stats, he... Not only did he, I mean, he's not what people probably think of a futsal player. People think of, you know, the small players, the busy players. Well, actually, when you play against these top teams, they're big. You know, France were full of players that were six foot three, six foot four. Max, Max sort of fills that bill. But on the stats that we had, he was the most, um, not that he didn't give the ball, he didn't give the ball away, but he had an impact. So he would create goals. He would stop goals. He rarely gave away goals. You know, so it was, it was, he was our best player, you know, and he was 19, 20 years old and he, he, he probably had like a real laid back style, but anyway, that's, you know, that's, that's really helped him moving, going forwards. We have our first question from one of the participants and we got this earlier in the week. This is uh, Sam Klein and this is his question. My name is Sam Klein from Brisbane Royal Academy and I was just wondering when scouting young athletes, what is the first thing you look for? So that's the question. Yeah. When scouting young athletes, what is the first thing you look for? Good question. Great question, Sam. Absolute cracker. Yeah, I th- look, I think it depends on the coach. Um, for me personally, I'd look at you know how people retain the ball and how they deal with the ball, um, as opposed to you know some other coaches might go for physicality that they're wanting players to run in behind. Now that it might that might go down to their own philosophy about how the team they're wanting them to play. Um, but I think to be a top, top player at the moment, the technicality of the... If you, if you can't deal with the ball, if you can't deal with the ball under pressure, um, then you've got no chance. Um, and, and that's absolutely critical. So for me, I'm, I'm looking at, at ball retention. But then, you know, it's a bit more than that. How, what are the players doing before they get on the ball? I'm looking to see are they, where they're looking as the ball's coming from. How do they create the space to get on the ball? You know... Because it might be that they just can't manif- manipulate the space to be able to get on it in the first place. You know, are they happy to receive it under pressure? Are they when they get on the ball? Are they face landing on it and facing forward? So, 
You know, are they thinking forwards? Are they looking forwards? And then can they play forwards? And I think they're three critical things for me. You know, if, if players are demonstrating that, that that's absolutely critical. Um, and personally, that's, that's what I'd be going for. So our, our next question is, what is the most important area for your development? Which I guess leads on to the question you've just asked. So we'll run that poll just quickly. Yeah. And it's now launched. And why, why is this question important to you, Ian? Yeah, I think we're seeing it a lot at the moment. When, um, when we're watching um, teams in the academy program here, we, we hear a lot about systems. And, and when you watch you know, the football programs and, and, pl- and matches being analysed, you hear a lot about systems. I think what we've really got to get and, 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 and sort of group tactics. I think we, for me, and, and I think with player development, we're missing the point. The, the key bit here is around, um, you know, the individual technique of players. And when you look at, you know, the great teams at the minute, it, it comes down to, you know, you look at Kevin De Bruyne who was outstanding the other day, but actually it's his individual technique that, that how he gets out of pressure, how he, how he gets on the ball, the time, and, and maybe more than technique, but his individual tactics, the timing of his runs, um, you know, where's he learnt those? That that's the critical bit. And I think if we're developing individuals, that's the bit that we have to focus on. And and that's you know, and that's that's not a team. That's as, as players, that's in your control. Um, you know, I think sometimes, you know, we can control that. But I'm not sure. Sometimes we get distracted thinking, oh, it's got to be about fitness and, and other sides of things. But actually. The, the individual tactics and the individual techniques that players have got is, is, the, is the key bit because that's going to bring you through at the end of the day. And when things get tough, that's what's going to get you out of trouble. So the results are through. And the question was, what is the most important area of your development? You've given a number of options, individual technique, team tactics, fitness, psychological and social. The overwhelming majority, 64% said individual technique. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And, and I think it's really good because, again, when you, you, know, you, you go back to, <laughs> if we go right back to, to Bobby Charlton, the stories he told was around, you know, getting the ball and, and playing against the wall, you know, so he would go and play with his mates. But these top, top players, Wayne Rooney was the same. You know, when you, when you read about these guys, they take themselves off on their own. They're practicing just then the ball and the wall, you know, getting the ball out of the feet. Can they, can they, you know, having a target on the wall, can they hit it from a, a close range can he hit it from further away you know can he get three out three out of three four out of four five out of five three out of five isn't good enough I've got to get five out of five can I do it then with my left foot can I do it in one touch and it, uh, there's a real um, uh, passion about the, the, the practice Beckham was the same you know he, he had to drag him out off training Fergie would take him out of training because he was doing too much but he'd practice those free kicks over and over again after after each, you know, after after each session. So, um, which is really critical. I mean, we we have a, a four corner model that we use at the FA. Clearly, you know, you need to be good in all of these four corners. You know, because if you if you're a nutcase, then probably in the social corner, and you're not going. It's really going to hinder your development if you can't get on with the rest of your group. Um, and psychologically, you have to be have a real resilience about you to to you know, to get better and improve. Um, and you've got to get around the pitch. You know, you've probably got to be quite quick. But I think the thing is recognising where your strengths are and where some of your, you know, where you need some help. And, 
Um, having super strengths, absolutely, you know, recommend that. Know what you're good at, really build on those super strengths. But at the same time, understand what your weaknesses are and, and start to build on those sort of things. Fantastic. I have another question here from Keatis. He's a okay. football player as well. Hello, Ian. My name is Keatis, and I was wondering if you had any tips to help me prepare for trialling for a team I really want to make. So top tips about trialling for a team you really want to make. And I guess going to that psychological part, the, the, the drive and the desire to really want to make a team sometimes can be your undoing, can't it? Yeah, I think it can. But then there's, there's certain things that you can, you can make sure that you've got, you know, all sorted before you, before you get there. So um, for me, I think it's, it's the, the run-up to the trial. Um, you know, you leave nothing to chance. So, you know, making sure you've had enough rest beforehand is absolutely critical. So you're on top form, you know, making sure that you've done the necessary work, not the week before, but then in the months before that that's coming. So are you physically in good shape? Have you done enough practice? You know, if, have you managed to get some sort of a post practice within all that? Because you don't want to be going from a, you know, if, if, if those sort of trials are happening pre-season, well, what, actually, what are you doing before you get to the trial? You know, so you could be out with your mates playing some 1v1, 2v2 stuff, which could really, really sharpen yourself up. I think as well, it's, it's, I think if you, if you know that there's somewhere that you want to go to, when you play that team, you may as well have a good game when you're playing against them. I think that's a really good way to, to stamp your mark, you know, so you can think, you can start thinking months and months in ahead if that's somewhere where you want to go. But it's also um, important about your, the sort of impact you make when that first time. You know, go and say hello to the coach. You know, go and make sure you shake his hand at the end and thank him for his time and, and, and make sure that you've got some sort of impression and some sort of contact in there. Um, and then it's, it's not, it's not you know, worldy passes. It's not about that. It's probably doing about the basics brilliantly, you know, and making sure that your fundamental game's right. And, and sometimes that can be as eye-catching as, as someone smashing, you know, three or four, great passes or you know you might be reliant on somebody putting you in for a goal or or whatever so you know doing the simple things right sometimes just and making the game look really easy that's that's probably the 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 best thing but control what you can control you know make sure you've got got everything you need make sure you've had the rest make sure you're in good shape you know make sure that you're you're ready um and and be resilient it doesn't i think what's absolutely clear is all players, you know, even someone like Harry, I think Harry Kane got loaned out about six or seven times. You know, it takes, you, you, it, you've got to be really resilient and keep going and, and keep going and keep going and keep going with this because it doesn't always happen the first year, but second or third year, you know, think back to David Beckham, you know, make it happen. Go away and do the practice and then you, you'll be able to deliver when the, when, when the time comes. We have another question from Danny, a football player from a, a team you might be familiar with in Australia. Here's the question. Hi, I'm Danny from Sunshine Coast Fire in Australia, age nine. This is my question. What are your top three coaching tips for my position, centre midfielder, that I can build through my junior career and into pro football? By the way, I've got a pretty good coach for the Sunshine Coast Fire, Tom Bateman. <laughs> Tom oh, Bateman. Hey. Tom Bateman. Wow. There you For go. For those who don't know, who's Tom Bateman to you? 
Yeah, so Tom's Tom's my son. So a lot of the this, uh, and he's you know he's out in Australia at the Sunshine Coast at the minute, having a whale of a time. I think he's um, yeah he's got a better deal out of all this than, than what I have in the minute being in um, the situation we're in just here. Yeah, so Tom's my son. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of the stuff that that Tom will be able to resonate with a lot of the stuff that we're talking about this morning around matches and and sort of as as a young player that. Um, in the teams where we, we sort of, as his dad in, in a grassroots environment and, and in, um, in other environments, going to trying to help him. So, um, yeah, Danny, well, yeah, hope, hope Tom's giving you some top tips. Um, tips for myself, I think as a, a centre midfield player, I think um, I, I touched on it before about, you know, if you're, can you, how do you get on the ball? As a centre midfield player, you've always got to be able to get on the ball. Um, so how do you, you know, generate the space to get on the ball is critical. Um, and I think the thing for me is when you get on it, can you, can you, can you, can you try and get on the ball where you, you potentially you can go forwards? And that doesn't mean, you know, always facing forwards. You might be sort of facing towards your own goal, but can you shift the ball that on your next touch you are going forwards? And that's critical in, as, as a central midfield player. Um, I think... Yeah, so it's and then can we look forwards after if we can get on the ball to face forwards, great. Um, if we can look forwards, brilliant. And then if we can play forwards and have those three things in your mind all the time, that's absolutely critical. Because if you can crack that and watch the top players, um, that's what they can do. So, um, you know, the other thing I'd say is is watch watch the really really good players, and, and it's quite different as um, you know. Um, again, if you I'm a City fan, as you've probably told. But if you, you know, David Silva is very different than Kevin De Bruyne, who's very different than Rodri now, or or Fernandinho, you know, who's again is different than Jordan Henderson. Now, they all have different traits, um, but they can, you know, some are outstanding at dealing with the ball. Henderson, what energy he has to get around the pitch and organise and, and shape other players. So, um, yeah, technically. Just make sure that you can get that right, and you'll be in a really good place. And hopefully, Tom can help you with with one or two things there to uh, to get you in the right on the right track. You've yeah, talked sorry. about the uh, the personal um, identification of what you need to do as a player. Can you talk about this sheet here? Yeah, no, this was just um, something that we did with Steve, who we talked about before. Um, so, just analysing yourself in across four corners, you know, of, of your own development. I think this is something that people can do for themselves. Um, something that we implemented at Bolton 15 years ago that the first team were doing, and it, was, it seemed to be quite new then. Most academies now in, in, a, in England, well, they have to do this. Um, so, you know, analysing yourself. Um, and I think the other thing, and then, and then reviewing this after, um, after, after a period of time. Should we do the question? And then- Yeah, let, let's, let's ask the question. So, um, the question is, do you as a player have an individual plan for yourself? And I guess this is what you're talking about, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and, and, it, and it is. It's, it's something we've had around for some time. Um, it's, it's something that, um, that we, we review. The clubs, will, a Cat, Cat One Academy will review every six weeks. And it's not saying that everything is, you know, you do it and then you move on. Um, but something, you know, you've probably got one or two things that you're really working on at a particular moment in time. And that could be a technical thing, but then it could be a psychological thing. The point is that it's, it's, it's been raised. It's been, um, now when it's, 
when we first started doing this, the, the coach was really driving this. Then we started to look at the parents being involved in the process. Um, I think we're at a point now, and, and we did this at, when I was at Bolton, that within sort of six months, the players were really good at this. So the players worked out what they what they really wanted to be, what they really wanted to be going after. And and so whether they were at training with us or playing with us or whether they're playing for school or whether, you know, um, they could even be playing basketball, but some of these things might be sort of transferable, that they had this running through their mind all the time and, and were improving. And, and you know, it's it's just critical that you commit to it. Otherwise, you know, it's it's really tricky to um, to, to pin down. And, and I think sessions have to be for the coach. It's really tricky because you know you'd be running. I'd, I'd, you, you could have fifteen players in front of you. They've got you know there two or three things that they're going after. That's forty odd individual plans plus your team plan and all the rest of it. Um, you know you've, you've got to be on your game as a coach to be able to process all that stuff. But there needs to be a you know a review to this, otherwise it's it's just writing stuff down. So I don't know what people if people have stuff like that in place. So the majority of people have said yes, they do have a plan, but it's in their head. Um, some say that you know it's written down, and 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 very few say that it's written down and reviewed. And I guess going from this webinar, that's probably a challenge that these players can take on. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, if there's one bit of advice, and it's you know. If people and it, it doesn't have to be as detailed as what we've put up with Steve's, but just to have a think, you know what, this is really, really important, and and then working out what it is that you need to do to get better in that particular aspect. You know, so if it if it is, you know, um we're talking about the question about, you know, if you've been a centre midfield player and you're struggling to play the ball forwards, well, is it because when you land on the ball, you always land on it facing your own goal? Now, so then I could have my, my mum and dad thinking, oh, actually, I'm going to watch out for that in the game now. So let's see how many times, you know, we get on the ball, how many times I've faced my own goal, how, how many times do I actually manage to pass forward, having received it, so I'm not going backwards all the time or I'm not going sideways. And we can start to, you know, we could go from being, you know, from 50%, we might be able to move up to 80%, which would be a real success. But because we've written it down and reviewing it from, and week to week and over a period of time, it can really give us some quick gains and, and gains that will be really useful for us. Fantastic. So do you want to give a summary? I'm, I'm very aware that we're now on the hour and we try to keep okay. it now. So that's perfectly timed, Ian. So do you want to give a summary? Yeah, no, I mean, this, this is the thing. I think um, in summary, I think people have really, ma- you, you need to maximise every opportunity that comes along, you know, so every game, every training session, um, you've got to, you know, every coach that you work with, you know, if you're a player, get the, get the, um, get as much information out of those coaches as you can, because, you know, they've got the, they have got information for you and can help you. Um, similarly, as, as a coach, you know, um, maximise every, op- every game is a coaching opportunity for the players. Um, you know, and and every different type of format that you can be involved with, are you are you seeking to get the most out of it for all the players that are in front of you? You know, um, and every every training session, every time you're together, um, you know, every time as a player you're just walking along the street, we'll take your ball with you and dribble the ball, and that's an opportunity that you've got just to have more touches on the ball. Um, I think. You know, do the best. Be be professional. In everything you do, 
you can eat the right. There's some things that are, you can pretty much do for free. So whether that's, you know, um, going to bed at the right time um, or going, you know, getting enough rest before games, eating the right things, um, going away and doing the practice. So, and the professional bit is when people aren't watching, are you doing the right thing? You know, and that, that's the difference. Then when we look at the top, top players that come through, they are absolutely obsessed. And, um, you know, they will be doing, they'll be doing the right thing all of the time. And if you can't, if you don't do that, that actually when it comes to that, you know, the time when you have that important trial, then that's probably when you're going to have problems because something's been less, left to chance. Um, I think the planning across four corners, again, you know, it, that can be really simple, you know, um, but have a little, have a little think about um, where, where you've, what, what are your super strengths um, and, and work, really work on those super strengths. So if you're really, really fast, get even quicker. You know, if you've got a really good shot, make that even better. But then actually be aware of, of other things that you need to develop. Um, I think it's critical to be, to really push yourself and play at the next level um, and, you know, and want that challenge. I think that, that's, that's absolutely key. Um, and in all this, I think the, the, the last three things, again, don't cost a thing. You don't really need help from anyone else. You, you've got to take responsibility for yourself in everything that you do. You know, nobody's going to do things for you. You can't expect people to do something. You know, if people do things for you, it's a bonus. Um, but you've got to take responsibility for your actions and be ready for the, at the right time when that comes along, whether you're a coach or, or whether you're a player. Um, look, some things are not meant to be. You know, pick yourselves up, track on. You know, um, this isn't about facilities. You know, the, some of the, the best players at the minute, when you look at some of the Brazilians and what have you, come from backgrounds where, you know, they don't have facilities. Some of them don't even have shoes. You know, so let's, let's, let's you know, you've got to crack on and, um, and you've got to make the most. And then the key power in the rock is you don't know when the rock's going to break. So for Chris Basham, you know, the, the, he's at the Premier League right at the end of his career. Um, Max Kilman, you know, he, he, he would have been released. He's gone to play in the lower leagues, but actually he's got to be in the Premier League. He's become a Premier League player when he's 21, which is, you know, which, which is quite unique. Um, so you don't know when that opportunity is going to come, but you've just got to not give up, keep working hard at it. And, um, and you don't know what opportunities will, will, will come around the corner. Ian, thank you so much for your time. It's been greatly appreciated. The time you've given has been amazing and we really appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, hope it's useful for people. If, if people do want to drop us a line, then, um, you know, absolutely welcome to do so. And um, we'll always help wherever we can or we'll certainly point people in the right direction. Okay. Ian, thank you for your time. Uh, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me.